We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. We're back. 2023. Joe, welcome back for another year. Evening all. Yes, the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast, where we're going to talk about news and politics and sex and religion and other stuff as well, I think, during the course of the year. Because I'm getting a bit sick of religion, to tell you the truth, Joe. I'm done with it, I think. I think I'm, I think I'm over religious nutters, crazy religious privilege, takeover of the Liberal Party by the Christians. I think I'm done with religion and I'm just... Going to give it a break for a while, mostly. What do you well, think about it? as long as nothing major crops up. Yeah. So i got a feeling just going to be more of the same with religious nutters. So, yeah, 2023. Let's not sure what's going to happen this year. But uh, welcome back. If you're in the chat room, say hello, and uh, we'll try and incorporate your comments. Might be a bit of a shorter episode because I haven't prepared as well as I normally do. Still, you know, holiday yeah, still in holiday mode. I mean, the country does shut down from the Melbourne Cup all the way through to Australia Day. We haven't quite reached Australia Day yet. So, Shay, how are you going, Shay? She's in the chat room. So, yeah, a few little, well, if you're new to the podcast, we talk about news and politics and sex and religion, predominantly in Australia, but also around the world. And we just jump into the topics pretty quickly. Hello, Mel, in the chat room as well. This time, we'll be a little bit self-indulgent, talk about a few other things before we get into the topics. If you don't like the sound of that, on your podcast app, it could have chapters and you might be able to look at the chapters and skip this intro section and get into the meat of things if that's what you want to do. But meanwhile, we'll continue with a bit of chit-chat, which a couple of things. I'm changing the website. I'm saving money and also experimenting. So... What I've actually done, dear listener, is I've created a, a little second podcast to experiment with and it's called IFVG Evergreen. So if you look in your podcast app and search for IFVG Evergreen, you'll see four or five episodes that are already in there. And essentially I'm going to take the content from this podcast that's sort of evergreen and would appeal to an international audience and on discrete topics and see how that goes. And if that podcast is stable under this new system, which is a bit cheaper, I'll probably move the main podcast across to that system as well and the website will change and various things. So playing around with that and we'll see how it goes. So IFVG Evergreen and we'll be adding stuff to that over time. Just looking, as I said, over the next year, 2023, just got in my notes here, as I was just saying before, religious instruction and chaplains, I'm going to steer clear of them for a while because I see stuff in The Rationalist and other things and I've sort of, I'm over it. Liberal Party Christian Demise, I think I've said what I need to say. Unfair China bashing and hypocritical USA foreign policy, I've given that a good bash. I'm going to try and give it a rest. Media bias and propaganda, again, try and give it a rest. So things that I think we might be talking about over this year in particular would be The Voice is going to come up, Joe. And there's going to be a referendum or something like that over the voice. 
It's going to be lots of debate. It's going to get quite bitter. I it happen sounds, to have. Sounds like a game show, doesn't it? Yeah. I happen to have an uncomfortable position <laughs> for most of the people who probably follow this podcast. So we'll see how that goes. But um, what the heck? I do have a different position on that one. And I did read Marcia Langton's article in the Saturday paper and she didn't convince me. And it's not because I don't think there's enough detail. I think there is enough detail out there. It's just the basic premise that I disagree with. But we'll probably have quite a few arguments with people over the voice. And dear listener, if you want to argue with me and convince me otherwise, feel free to make contact and join a debate. I think we'll be talking a lot about climate change and solutions I think we're going to spend a lot of time on economics, the history of economics and modern thinking about economics because a couple of things. I get into discussions, Joe, at dinner parties and at Christmas get-togethers. I don't believe that. And it's I'm now attending a lot of 60th birthday parties. That's the stage of life I'm at. And I get into arguments with boomers mm-hmm. about house pricing and about the privileged sort of era that baby boomers have enjoyed. And and I get this whole thing about how they've worked hard for what they get. and When mortgages were 14%. Yeah, and the young people of today are just mm. lazy and they want it all and they're not prepared to wait and blah, blah, blah. So I think a lot of it in terms of convincing people is they've got a misguided view of the history of economics, particularly of capitalism over the last, well, since the Industrial Revolution. Lots of stuff has been swept under the carpet. So I think part of making an argument about what we should be doing in terms of moving forward to an economic system that's better than the current one is closely examining that maybe capitalism hasn't been that great for a lot of people and it's come to the end of its run. So... I think just talking about the history of it will be important as a means of describing. Because people will talk about the glory days of Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher and stuff. And you've just got to say, hang on a minute, they weren't glory days at all. This is actually what happened. Yeah. I remember the miners' strike in England Mm. and the riots. Yep. And we're seeing strikes now in England with the railway. Oh, the rail, yeah. And, uh, And there's a different atmosphere in the response to it, I think, where there's sympathy for the strikers, it seems to me. I was listening to a friend's podcast and they were complaining about the media and I think it was supposedly left-wing media asking the Rail Workers Union boss how he felt about with people's lives because they were striking so often. Yes. And he was, it was, you know, don't you feel sorry for the average person who's just trying to go to work? And he's saying, yeah, I completely reject your premise. This this is about the working rights of everybody. This is about a fair pay for everybody. Mm. Yeah, And, yeah, we, we're going to upset people. That's kind of the point of a strike. Yes, and I think there's more sympathy for that viewpoint yes. now than there was in the 80s. Let's face it, Arthur Scargill probably wasn't a good poster boy for <laughs> for any movement. Was it, was it, was it Arthur Scargill? It was Scargill, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and then Neil Kinnock giving yeah. Maggie what for in the comments. Yes. In the chat room, they're already going off. Good on you, Mel and John and Alison. Um, and, yeah, so keep your comments coming. And John's made the point that nurses are on strike as well, I think. So Junior doctors as well were on strike. Yes. I saw yep. an interview about that. 
barristers were on strike not so long ago. Oh, okay. Yeah, like criminal law legal aid barristers were, were on strike. So, yeah. And, so and it's I a see different... New South Wales and Victoria premiers have got together and demanded money from the government for Medicare over here. Have they? Yeah. Asking for more. Right. 750 million, I think. Right. Was in the budget. Okay. Haven't uh, heard that. Yeah. And right. so there was questions as to whether that would be focused purely on trying to get bulk billing back in. Right. Uh, and other people saying, well, actually, no, we need more support workers rather than GPs. Mm. Uh, and if GPs get a pay rise, actually, studies show that they're just more likely to take time off rather than work more hours. Right. Yep. Yep. The other thing I saw, I think, was that New South Wales was looking at getting rid of stamp duty for first home buyers or something, something like that, which was going to be a big hit to their budget, but was effectively just going to add the price it of goes stamp duty the price. to the price. Wasn't yeah. there something about you could get rid of stamp duty, but you pay more land tax? Wasn't uh, one of the well, states doing that? Well, I don't think that's what was being proposed. I think they're just going to get rid of it. Okay. Uh, without introducing a land tax. So, so yeah, that sort of stuff's going on. So, yeah, a different different mindset, I think, where people are recognising because there is good information out there now about how basically wages have not kept um, up with profits and people can just look at the figures and look at the charts and see that profits have been increasing steadily for the last 40 years and wages haven't. And people are starting to get jack of it. So, particularly when you get a crunch with a power, with you know a gas bill or whatever mm-hmm. for heating your home that you can't pay. So, that's all going to get interesting over the year. And what else have I got here? So yeah, economics is going to be a big one. Probably human nature, how we think about things, the fact that we are a social animal. I'll be attacking libertarians. I think libertarians are like cats. I think Joe. Yes, they just. Take advantage of everything that's there with no idea of how much they're being looked after. Mm-hmm. They like yeah. to think they're independent. Yeah. And maybe a bit about philosophy as well. So I'll put a note in the show notes about a link to Goodreads where I've got a list of all the books I've read in the last seven years. And if you want to come on the podcast and we read one of those books and we talk about it, let me know. So... Have a look at that in the show notes because I want to talk about books because I think articles and news is a bit of fast food. The real meaty stuff is in books. So that's sort of what I'm thinking of this year. Right. Recent events. It's been almost a month. It's the longest break I've ever had. So let's quickly run through some of the things that have been happening. RoboDebt, Royal Commission. It's been a guy on Twitter showing excerpts from it, and really good Royal Commissioner and good counsel assisting, and they're just getting stuck into these public servants who are arriving unprepared and they've presented statements but without attaching copies of the emails that they're referring to. So they're saying in their statements, oh, I sent an email which said blah, 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 and the Commissioner says, well, show me that email and... Why didn't you attach it to your statement? Did you think I was just going to believe what you said? I need to look at the actual letter that you say you sent or that you say you received. And really 
pretty harsh language with these people saying, I can't believe somebody who was as smart as you thought it was okay to present a really pathetic statement like you have. So they're getting stuck into people there. Really good to see people being held to account and I've got a lot of confidence in that Royal Commissioner. So she's doing well. Yes, there's the link. Thanks, Joe. Brazilian coup just the other day looked remarkably like January 6th. Mm. No, so it wasn't a coup. They were no. just going out for a perfectly legitimate walk in the, the, the parliament grounds, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And well, also it wasn't the a coup. presidential palace. Yeah. I mean, if you don't have the military involved, it's not a coup, I guess. But, well, I guess maybe it can be, but it's just never going to be successful unless mm. you get the military involved. So there was one difference, though, Joe, in that they've already got busloads of people who were arrested that day. Oh, and, there you um, go. Yeah. So there was a great tweet by somebody who said, gee, I never knew that you could actually ar- arrest coup participants on the day they commit the offence. Yes. So, yeah, they've already got a whole bunch of them arrested. And so well, and maybe it was because they didn't have a president that refused to call in the army until the last minute. Mm. Say that again? Oh, Trump was going, oh, yes. oh, why didn't DC call in the National Guard? And yeah. apparently I think it was down to the president to call in the National Guard. Right. Something basically that required him to do it. Yeah. Yep. So Don says if it was done on a poultry farm, it would be a chicken coup. Boom, boom. No. Thank you, Don. All right, Republican Speaker Kevin McCarthy took an inordinate number of votes. Yes. Basically, the Republicans had the numbers in Congress to a But point. they were split amongst themselves. All it required was agreement amongst <laughs> the Republicans. Couldn't do it. And, and yeah, I'm I, listening to a friend's podcast and they were saying basically that... That sums up the Republican Party these days. There are so many of them that are just out for, yeah, what's in it for me? Yeah. Not even working on the party lines. Yeah. They've really become quite dysfunctional. Pretty clear indication of US politics there. What's this podcast you're listening to? You say Friends Podcast. What's it called? You want to give them a plug? It is called Fallacious Trump. Fallacious Trump. Yeah, so they go through okay. logical fallacies using Donald Trump quotes. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Um, Right. Prince Harry and the media. So Jeremy Clarkson was that guy who used to compare a motoring show and he's got an article in some newspaper and... Jeremy Clarkson is well known for being a polemicist. Yes. To put it mildly. Yes. But in his article, this is what he wrote. Megan, though, is a different story. I hate her. Not like I hate Nicola Sturgeon or Rose West. I hate her on a cellular cellular level. At night, I'm unable to sleep as I lie there, grinding my teeth and dreaming of the day when she is made to parade naked through the streets of every town in Britain while the crowds chant shame and throw lumps of excrement at her. So this is a callback to Game of Thrones. <laughs> right. There's a very, very it- obvious scene in Game of Thrones. Is it? Okay. Yes, where the Queen is paraded naked through the town Uh, to with everyone shouting shame at her. Right. Okay. So it's not so bad as it sounds. I I don't think so. I mean, don't forget, this is the guy who advocated having armed police snipers at every box junction so that if somebody was 
going in to a, a crossing before there was a clear exit, the police right. would shoot them. <laughs> okay. So everything's a bit tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. yeah. Still. You, you, you'd have to be an idiot to actually listen to what he says yeah. and take it anyway. seriously. Yeah. Well, certainly the media, though, has undoubtedly had it in for Harry and Meghan and it just really seems to be an orchestrated vendetta against them. And Certainly the royalists, yes, because they're saying yeah. bad things about the royal family. Mm. And there are questions about Meghan and whether she has... She wanted all the privileges and none of the pay, yeah, none of the, the work that went mm. along with being a, a royal. Right. There'd and be plenty of royals like that, surely. Well, no, I but, think I mean, that... They, they, they okay. come in, they realise how hard work it is and they knuckle what's down, whereas... What's Prince, what's Prince Edward done in the last 60 who, who? years? Yeah. What? I'm, I'm sure and I won't ask what has Prince Andrew well. done. Oh, you know, you've got a guy like Prince Andrew who's basically been left alone despite a pretty tawdry record. It just seems like a, a terrible vendetta by News Corp who are just trying, showing their true colours, so... Yeah. Shay in the chat room says, not just royalists, hip hooray, I thought it was Charles that was going to help us become a republic. It's actually Harry that's going to bring it down. Hmm. We'll see. Not convinced that this Labor Party is up for anything of any substance. I think they're going to tinker at the edges on some, on some easy stuff, but I don't think they're up for real change. We'll see. Well, of course, not only <clears throat> Harry... There was always the speculation about the major, whatever oh, yes. his name was. Yes. Charles is probably not his dad. He looks a lot yes. like the butler. Is that right? The that wasn't a butler. It was, uh, was yeah, it? it might have been a bodyguard. It was, uh, it yeah. was an acquaintance anyway. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, there's that guy over here who claims that he's Charles and Camilla's real son. Yes. It's all very tawdry. Mm-hmm. And... It's so obvious that we should be rid of this group as as the theoretical head of our What, what I'm surprised government. at is that people think this is a new thing. Mm. The Royals have been fucking around forever. Yes. Yep. It's part of the job description. Well, exactly. Yeah. We can't get rid of them. There's, there's so many obvious things that should be done that we just can't budge on them. Maybe when the boomers give us another 10 years, when you know, the boomers really disappear as a voting force, maybe things will get done. That might be what it's, what's required. I, don't know. It's, yeah. I think it's not so much the behaviour of the royals but just the just the, the dying off of the boomers. Oh, and when you hold up Donald Trump as your possible options, mm. Bolsonaro, Vladimir Australia, Putin. Well, Australia isn't, though. No, as an option. You, you start going, well, so what What do we have instead? Here's our options. Yeah, well. Lots of countries have got surely, what's an ideal system where they've got a... Who knows? Just, just a, yeah. It's not that hard, but, we, you know, we're, we're nowhere near it, it seems. What else have we got here? Things that have happened. So China basically ripped at the Band-Aid and said, we're done with zero COVID and let's just have a quick hard hit 
and Australia demanded that Chinese travellers have infection clearance certificates before travelling. Like, just, you know, COVID's running rampant through America, Europe, all sorts of countries, and Australia had to decide to pick on China and say, oh, we want special entry requirements from you guys. Just... Oh, it's because they got a different type of COVID. Well, no, they don't. That's the whole point. Nothing's been shown to be different. It's just our government being stupid again. Crazy lacism. Yeah. Yep. Julian Assange, Albanese made noises saying it's been long enough and sort of indicating is, is that, that since he's been Prime Minister? Because yes. I know he didn't before. Okay. Yes. Saying I think it's been enough. But other than saying we're working behind the scenes, nothing else held out there, but there was a glimmer of hope for Julian Assange. He basically uh, has to persuade the Americans to drop it. Yes. But and that's going to be the hard bit. It shouldn't, they're an ally. It shouldn't be that hard. Yeah, but do they start, consider us an ally or a vassal? Yeah, we'll, we'll start, you know, start doing some retaliatory action. What, kick him out of Darwin? You know, stop buying some of their crappy military hardware. In fact, the submarines, I think it's it's done with the submarines because they've basically admitted they just can't build them. Mm-hmm. So I think, I think that's saved Australia. But apparently we're buying HIMARS now. Is that the missile or the yeah. plane? Right, yeah. I don't know enough about them yet. Rocket launchers. Mm. So apparently highly mobile rocket launchers that they've been using in... Ukraine, Ukraine, but they only gave the short-distance missiles to Ukraine, sorry, rockets, because mm. they're not missiles, because they were worried about escalating the war in Ukraine, but we would be given the long-range ones, which would allow us to effectively launch out to two or 300 kilometres. Okay. What's the difference between a rocket and a missile? Missiles are guided. Ah, okay. There we go. Kevin Rudd is going to be our ambassador in the US. Yeah, uh, so Ambassador to the US seems to be a cushy posting because Joe Hockey was given that, wasn't he? He was, yes. That's a ballsy decision. Kevin Rudd is such a loose cannon. Uh, He'd be a nightmare to work for, an absolute nightmare. I'm surprised we didn't send him to Beijing, actually. Yeah. Uh, So anyway, on some things he could be really good and on other things he could be really bad. That's a really ballsy decision, that one. Maybe Albanese just wanted him out of Australia. Finance-wise, a lot of mortgages that were sort of entered into in the early COVID times are now coming up for the end of their sort of fixed um, honeymoon yes. rates and are now going to be on the variable rate. That will be interesting to see how that affects people whether they will. I'm hearing a lot of people want to get out of them. Really? Mm. Mm. There's already been news articles about that. Yep. So we'll see what happens with property prices. Seems to me that they haven't really fallen that much in Brisbane. People are just I, sort of I hanging on. was giving some shit to friends in Melbourne saying, yeah, why, if everything's so great in Melbourne, why are you all moving up here? Mm. Turns out I was wrong. It's New South Wales that have moved up. 11% increase in population in the Gold Coast and the Sunshine Coast yep. in the last 12 months. Yep. Yep. 
Makes sense. Apparently, Melbourne's going to be the biggest city in the not too distant yeah, future. Yeah, quite possibly. Yeah. Okay. And did you catch up with the stuff about that guy, Andrew Tate, and I, Greta Thunberg? Oh, yeah. So the Greta Thunberg thing is a complete bullshit. So there, there was an argument with her, but that yeah. didn't lead to his arrest. Okay. So for those who didn't see it, this Andrew Tate is some sort of box, a, kickboxer or yeah, a martial arts kickboxer, guy. Former yeah. kickboxer who... He's American-British, so I think he was born in the UK, grew up in America. He's very misogynistic, I think, is the best way of putting it. Yes. In the dictionary definition of misogynist, there is a picture of Andrew Tate. Moved to Romania mm. to run his business, and, yeah, he's he's done well. I mean, he is worth millions. He's got very expensive luxury cars an apartment in Dubai. Very big social media presence, very popular on social media. So obviously yes. earning lots through there. And and also it seems has a lot of fans amongst young men. Yes. Who think he's great, unfortunately. Like he's just an obvious yeah, prick. I, I saw a comment today that when he gets away with being a dick because he's relatively good looking, he's physically fit, and he's worth a lot of money. Mm. And he has all these basement-dwelling slobs looking up to him, thinking that they can treat women in the same way and get away with it, and yes. they don't have the attributes that he has. Yes. And it turns out that they don't have them under control in some slave-type arrangement, which apparently yeah, he so, might have had so as well. it's been alleged that he was doing what I believe pimps have done for years, is get women mm. to fall in love with you and then turn them into sex workers. Yes. So there have been allegations that he's been luring women into his Eastern European home, then locking them up and forcing them to perform on camera for his viewers. Yeah. So John's made a comment which is about to be debunked, I think. because yes. Because this guy comes out and he, he did this sort of TikTok thing or whatever, basically having a go at Greta Thunberg and, and saying how he's got all these – big sports cars with huge emissions and if she gives him her email address, he'll write to her and ex explain it all to her. And she said, oh, yes, please write to me. My email is smalldickenergy at getalife.com or something like that, So, which was obviously a, a sort of a reference to the, to the idea that men with sports cars are making up, compensating mm -hmm. for having small penises. So he then responded with a really lame video, which was incredibly lame actually, trying to recapture some of the high ground. But as part of that, he had a pizza box where he was grabbing a slice of pizza from it. And the story was that the Romanian officials saw the branding on the pizza box, realised that he was in Romania, and then decided they could arrest him because they were looking for him and they wanted him on his sort of sex slavery charges. But, Joe, that's probably not the case. I mean, they probably, I mean, well, the it was in his house and they knew where that was. They've already said that it wasn't how they realised he was in the country. Yeah. So, while it makes a good story, it wasn't actually true. But still, there you go. Anyway, definitely Greta Thunberg and her Twitter management had a lot of fun with that one. Yeah. So... She certainly owned him on that one. Now, Trump tax returns 
Finally got a look at those. Yes. And to be honest, not a lot's come out of it so far except really revealing how little money he made in many years, which surprises well, nobody. Well, no, how much tax write-off he claimed for many years. Y- yes. Yes. So... So already the tax corporation has been found guilty in New York of overinflating the value of properties when trying to get borrow money and mm. underinflating or undervaluing their property when having to pay tax when having <laughs> to pay tax yeah yeah and the question is whether this is the same for his personal tax returns yeah anyway they'll be going through that he started selling NFTs Joe yes a mere so, wasn't it $99 each? It is. And, and if, you, if you buy 40 some, 42 of them, you get to have dinner with him if you can feel like it. Here's the pitch. I've got it here. Here we go. Hang on. Hello, everyone. This is Donald Trump, hopefully your favourite president of all time, better than Lincoln, better than Washington, with an important announcement to make. I'm doing my first official Donald J. Trump NFT collection right here and right now. They're called Trump Digital Trading Cards. These cards feature some of the really incredible artwork pertaining to my life and my career. It's been very exciting. You can collect your Trump Digital Cards just like a baseball card or other collectibles. Here's one of the best parts. Each card comes with an automatic chance to win amazing prizes like dinner with me. I don't know if that's an amazing prize, but it's what we have. Or golf with you and a group of your friends at one of my beautiful golf courses, and they are beautiful. What's the old What's the old joke where you say? Oh, yeah, yeah. The first prize is a week for one, <laughs> or sorry, is a week in wherever. Second prize is two weeks, wherever, yes. No, first prize is a week, and no, second prize is one week. How's it going? Yeah, second prize it's is worse. two weeks, yeah. first prize is one week. That's it, yeah. It's like that with Donald Trump. Uh, of course, the irony is when I was a kid growing up, we had Trump collectible cards. Did you? Yeah, yeah, it was called Top Trumps, and it was <laughs> car facts. And so you were you were going, oh, look, this car goes faster or this one's got better, it's got a larger engine or whatever it was. Right. So you, it's, it was all about cars. Right. There you go. You still got any? It could be worth a fortune, Joe. No. Mm-hmm. Ex-pump, ex, ex-pope died? Yes. Fuck the motherfucking pope. Yeah, another one's gone, another one bites the dust. Lensky still fighting the war in Ukraine and he was in the US and he gave a speech um, probably to the joint houses or Congress, I don't know. It was Congress, but yeah. Congress, yeah, basically asking for more help and thanking them for the help they got. And this was Nancy Pelosi walking out afterwards. It was one of the finest speeches I've ever heard in the Congress. It was historic in that he and Churchill are the only two wartime presidents who have come here to talk about asking our help and thanking us for our anticipated help to stop the tyranny in Europe. It's pretty exciting. One of our happiest days. There were some applause lines. Isn't it great? Wasn't he wonderful? The world's just run by idiots, Joe. So, just, is it not, 
one of only two presidents. Comparing him to Churchill and how exciting it was and wasn't he wonderful and what a momentous well, it, occasion. It's as close as she'll ever get to Churchill. Yeah. For God's sake. And she's one of the most respected, most senior people in US politics. It's depressing. Yeah, but they're all puppets. Yeah. It, it's the Illuminati who are actually running the world. You know that. Mm, yeah. Well, if the Illuminati means big business and in particular weapons manufacturers. Well, possibly. Then I think they're right if that's who the Illuminati are. So, yeah. No, it's the Jews. Come on. Yeah. Caitlin Johnston says the difference between Democrats and Republicans is that Democrats say they want to do good things but they're lying and Republicans say they want to do bad things and they're telling the truth. She's been pretty good, Caitlin Johnson, over the break. Oh, what else have we got? Oh, one other one. I said I wouldn't do much on Crazy Christians, but I found this one and I can't resist this one. So, Joe, you would have heard of Spelling Bee stuff. Very strong in America where they get kids and they give them a really complicated word, ask them to spell it, and you you become a national champion. Invariably, the kids who win these things these days are either Chinese heritage or Indian, it seems. So, Mm -hmm. well, some people have taken that idea and applied it to the Bible. Of course. Because why wouldn't you? Of course. Here we go. Here we go. Your first passage. I and my father slash Kate. John 10, 27 to 30. That is correct. Please recite it. She's got an upside down John 10, crucifix. 27 to 30. <laughs> my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. John 10, 27 to 30. Kate, Jesus says in that passage that I and the Father are one. Can you speak to the significance of that? What's that mean? Well, it me- it shows that... I won't subject you to the rest of that. Good. Yeah. That's the Only in America file. Put that mm-hmm. one away. John in the chat room says, who's Caitlin Johnson? It's Caitlin. If you just Google, you'll find her. She's got a blog and I've been quoting her for years now. John. Right. So my current interest beyond the National Bible Bee contestants is economics, as I mentioned earlier. I'm finding it fascinating, Joe. And uh, it's I've got a a feeling that economics is a little bit like religion in that religion in the early days where it was sort of controlled by sort of a select group and the rest of us just sort of go, well, they must know what they're talking about, must be right. But And now there's heresy with the modern monetary theory. Correct. And uh, there's faith involved in it because, you know, when it comes to currency, there's a strong faith element required in order for it to actually work. Mm-hmm. And and it's also where we've we've been told sort of just a classical version of economics and 
it's quite possible that that's very wrong and that doesn't actually explain how economics works at all and that quite mainstream economists have been missing vital information in explaining the economy. And there seems to be a bunch of people coming out now who are economists but like heretics. It worries me a little bit in that I hope I'm not doing what people were doing with vaccines where do your own research and become an expert on vaccinations and suddenly you are debunking all of the mainstream sort of vaccination work. But I, I'm heading in that path where I'm actually... But at least I'm conscious of it. So, I, I, yeah, I am conscious of it. That, okay, these new explanations might sound all fine and dandy and it's debunking what the commonly held view is. But oh, for a long time I had a bit of a suspicion about economics where if you really want to compare it to a lot of the other fields in a university, they want to present themselves as a hard science. But there's a lot of dark art involved in it as well, I think, Joe. I was going to say a lot of the soft sciences, social sciences, are very similar. Yeah, but I think they've tried to present themselves as a hard science and with a lot of math and formulas. But at the end of the day, I think they've been running a bit of a scam, a lot of them, and they haven't quite got it worked out. So over the course of 2023, dear listener, you and I are going to work out economics and how the world's actually running. So, so yeah, I'm going to run through some of the things that I've learned from the books over the last few weeks that I've been reading. But one of the things that's got me... Here we go. Mel says, it's not the same. Vaccination is based on science. Economics is sociology at best. So go for it, Trevor. Thanks, Mel. I will. Joe, do you have any podcasts that you listen to because you really dislike the podcast? <laughs> have you got a hate-listen podcast? No, not anymore. Right. <laughs> Oh, you had one before? Well, trigonometry I was listening to and yep. they just went completely off the deep end. Right, yeah, yep. And even so, Joe, Joe Rogan was one of those, he had some really great people on and he had long format conversations where you could get deep into the weeds with some really interesting people. He also had some complete dickheads on and he would get into the weeds with them. And I think they both particularly around the time of lockdown, just went completely off the rails. Yes. And, and just ended up having right-wing nutters on. Yeah. So a bit like in the way that I actually cancelled my subscription to The Australian, so I'm just down to the Courier Mail at the moment, but reading those was just to sort of see what other people mm-hmm. are thinking. And there's a podcast I've been listening to, which is about this guy who, who's supporting and promoting Bitcoin. Yes. So I've been listening to him. And, you know, I'll listen to him and in my head I'll go, no, uh-uh, no, not, not that either. And, like, he will come out quite often with a, a 20 or 30-word sentence with five concepts and I'll disagree with nearly every single thing he says. I think he gets it so badly wrong. So I've been enjoying that but I've been thinking, I actually reached out to him and said, hey, I disagree with a lot of what you say. Would you like somebody to come on your podcast and just... Have a polite debate and uh, he hasn't responded. But I did think part of the benefit of that is if you do have to say, you know, mount an argument, you really have to think carefully 
more carefully. You think you know something until you actually have to explain it. It's easy to make assertions. Yes. And you can easy to think in your head, oh, yeah, I know that, until you actually have to spell out the concepts. It's not that easy. So anyway, some of the ideas I've got rattling around in my head are sort of as a response from this Bitcoin podcast. But money fascinates me, as you would know, for a long time, and the origin of money. So one of the things I would have said to him about Bitcoin as to why it's a heap of shit is the thing about normal money is there's value to it because eventually you're going to have to pay tax and the sovereign government in Australia is going to say, you have to pay your tax and it's got to be in Aussie dollars and each country will do that where they'll require payment of your tax in their particular currency. No sovereign government is going to say that about Bitcoin and so there's no government body that's ever going to be interested in propping it up. So it's these people think it's going to increase in value, not just as a medium of exchange for just swapping bits of bits coin around to pay for small transaction, not as something like a bit of a convenience, but, but as an actual investment, I think it's going to go up. But there's nothing there that will actually sort of support it from a government point of view. And I think people think that money came about as a means of assisting the barter system. So there's this theory in people's heads that used to be that we'd have economies where I own a goat and you've got some grain and I agree to swap the goat for some grain and we just walk around in the village continually swapping and bartering items directly and that at some point people were using bits of valuable metal like gold which eventually got converted into coins as an easy means of measuring them and and that money was introduced as a means of greasing the wheel of, of the barter system in, in primitive economies. And two things is... Turns out there never really were barter economies where people were swapping things like that. In that sort of primitive stage, if I had a goat and it was too much for me to eat because I'd just killed it or I'd, you know, a deer I'd hunted down or something, basically I'd have my fill and then share it with you, Joe, and a bunch of other people. And that would just be a little credit in the back of everybody's mind. Oh, Trevor fed everybody the other day with that piece of meat. That was pretty good. So the next time they got something spare, they would then, you know, share. share it with me. And a lot of society was based on people tallying in their heads whether somebody was a sharer or not a sharer. And mm-hmm. it wasn't a direct simultaneous exchange of goats for grain. There was just a build-up of credit points that you had to maintain as being a worthwhile member of a community. So, so these societies never really ran barter-type arrangements in the way people might think. When it comes to money, it seems that the origin of it was in relation to early agriculture when uh, there was a build-up of grain, for example, in silos and we had palaces and kings and emperors sort of going back 3,000 or 4,000 years and little sort of 
chits would be issued about the grain in the silo, who it belonged to, who who was owed the grain or I was gonna say and, promissory notes. Yes. And and these were these were issued by the palace to people. So it was a it was more or less a an IOU that started off between the palace or the government and individuals, not as something between individuals. And it had value because it was like an IOU from the palace. It actually mm-hmm. meant something. And over time, people might swap these IOUs between themselves and they might particularly need to because at some stage the palace might say, oh, we're going to tax everybody. The king needs grain to pay for some soldiers or whatever and all of you guys have got to contribute some of the grain that's in the silo, so start handing in your chits. So that was kind of the origin of money that I've come across, which was uh, And Forgive Them Their Debts by Michael Hudson. So if people thinking about Bitcoin as being just like money, it sort of helps to shoot down to them and say that's that's not what money was actually originally intended. It was part of a contract. It had government backing from the very beginning and your Bitcoin doesn't. So that's a key difference. It's a pump and dump scheme. Yes. It, yes. And, the, and, well, one of the reasons why I've look, been looking at Bitcoin, dear listener, is just in the podcasting world, there is a, a thing called Podcasting 2.0. They're basically creating apps now and the ability where on certain apps, there's a Fountain app and there's an Podverse app and there's a couple of other apps where if you've got money in a Bitcoin wallet, if you've got Satoshis, which are like one one hundred one millionth or, or something like that of a Bitcoin... You could do an instant donation to a podcaster of Satoshis on an app and there's a certain element of the podcasting world that loves the idea of this. So there's a lot of talk about it. So that's part of the reasons why I'm interested in Bitcoin. Anyway, so that's the origin of money, not from greasing the wheels and making it easier for a barter economy, but it was really government-driven from the early stages. And... There was also, Joe, a lot of debt forgiveness in the ancient Assyrian and Babylonian empires. Apparently the Bible says forgive debts every seven years. Yes, and it was a very regular thing because now these were debts that were owed by the commoners to the palace. Mm-hmm. And when a new, when an old emperor died, new emperor came in, very common to wipe out all debts. One of the reasons for that was that with interest, it just got out of hand for people where they couldn't actually pay the debt. So in order for the society to function, people were losing their properties and becoming almost slaves to other people and it was causing regular problems. So throughout that history, it's a very regular occurrence of debt forgiveness by common people to the palace. Now, that didn't necessarily mean interbusiness debts, but certainly commoners in the palace would have their debts wiped out. So Landon Hardbottom says, send me your useless Bitcoin and I'll store it for you. <laughs> Thanks, Landon. So so where was I? Yeah, debt forgiveness was something very common in the ancient world and that sort of stopped around the Greek and Roman civilizations, where that regular debt forgiveness stopped 
and sort of private property was held in a more exalted status and that's continued on since the Greek and the Romans but prior to them debt forgiveness was a, a regular occurrence. So so what else have I been reading about lately? Of course capitalism is a recent invention only since the industrial revolution and while we've had markets for thousands of years just a market is quite different to capitalism. There's a TV series called The Ascent of Money. It's quite old now. Right. By an Irish guy. I think it was a BBC or Channel 4 documentary series mm-hmm. and it goes into the bond market, not the stock market, mm-hmm. and the Dutch East India Company being the first yeah. traded company and what a difference that made. Yes. The, the ability to create a, a public company. Yes. That you could buy shares in. Yep. This this pooling together of resources to be able to take on something that would be too expensive as an individual. Yes. And then the benefits that were given to these companies where they were able to actually levy t- taxes on the Indians and things like this, mm-hmm. almost like a government with their own soldiers and all the rest of it to go with it. So, so, so basically capitalism requires an unsustainable growth and this is so that people can repay debt and interest. If you're going to, you know, people borrow on the hope and expectation of growth which will allow them to repay the debt and the interest and capitalism requires, you know, 2 to 3% per year. I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, a few episodes ago, 3% growth means doubling the size of the economy every 23 years and then doubling it again and then doubling it again and again. At some point, we won't be able to do that. And the problem is that GDP is not just plucked out of thin air, but it's connected to energy and resources. So it means doubling and doubling every 23 years the energies and resource use. Or or pollution. Mm. Because Mm. pollution is also a GDP positive. Yes, that's right. Yep. So, so a growth, a growth that's going to be unsustainable. And the question is, well, how did, how did capitalism maintain this growth since the industrial revolution? Like, how was it able to do it for so long anyway? Colonialism. Correct. You said colonialism, didn't you? Mm Hmm. Yep. Yep. So really interesting book, Capital and Imperialism, Theory, History and the Present by Utsa and Prabhat Patnaik. Difficult read, dear listener, like this one, the whole four weeks, not easy. And I'm going to summarise it in two minutes, which is just a crime really because the amount of detail in there. But essentially companies like the East Indian Company and others, Mm -hmm. well, well, the UK in particular was just draining an enormous amount of money out of India. And it was essentially capitalism thrived because it was able to just subjugate the global south and not only get cheap commodities and resources from them, but also force them to produce the products that the UK wanted, say things like cash crops or or other things, so that these people then 
were unable to feed themselves because they'd been forced into growing things for the UK and then they were forced into being the market for UK products. So their artisans was were were forced into producing these cash crops and the companies were the, the countries were then forced to then be a market for British products as well. So the book's quite extensive about about how all that worked. So actually I'll read a bit here, page 131, give you a bit of a flavour for some of it. Bear with me one second. So the transfer process at its inception was relatively transparent. The East India Company's trade monopoly granted by the British Parliament began in 1600. The company acquired tax revenue collecting rights in Bengal province in 1765 and substantive drain starts precisely from that date. Bengal's population of about 30 million people was nearly four times that of Britain and the rapacity of the company, which forcibly trebled revenue collection over the following five years, decimated one-third of the population in the Great 1770 Famine. Full recovery had not taken place by 1792, and yet the land revenue fixed under the permanent settlement in that year in Bengal exceeded the British government's taxes from land in Britain. Just shameless raping of, of these countries is essentially how the UK was able to sustain its and early Ireland. days of capitalism. What, what's that? Ireland as well. Yes. A bunch I, I of com- listened to a history on the potato famine mm. uh, and it was literally, it wasn't that there weren't enough potatoes, it was that the potatoes were all marked for export to England to be yes. sold Yes. And the Irish couldn't afford to eat. Yes. Yeah. So according to this book I've just was reading from, the the depression in the nineteen thirties was actually sort of signified the exhaustion of the of the growth in that area of subjugating colonies. So while they were still under subjugation, it sort of maxed out what they could get from these colonies at that time. And the Great Depression was was kind of where capitalism could no longer grow from those sort of that colonial agricultural raping and taxation. They'd, they'd maxed out on that one. So so how did capitalism need to grow after that? Well, you had fiscal stimulus where governments were, were basically introducing money into the economy. So you had the New Deal, which introduced money. You then had World War II. You then had continuing US war deficits in the years following, which was a type of Keynesianism. So Keynes is all about, John Maynard Keynes is about the government spending money to prop up economies if they start to flatten. There was Um, a move off the gold standard as well. Yes, there was a move from the gold standard as well. You had women entering the workforce, so that boosted productivity again. You had uh, credit cards. Uh, yeah. had the 1980s draining of the commons, where we had public utilities sold pri- off, mm. sold off, privatised. All these things that I'm mentioning are little prods that enabled capitalism, which might have slowed to zero in terms of growth, to grow. We then had the 2000 dot com 
boom and then the 2008 real estate bubbles, which were as a result of subprime mortgages. Yes. In recent times, we've had the COVID-19 fiscal stimulus where money, governments have thrown money at, at corporations. And then we've had super low interest rates leading to asset price bubbles, all ways of propping up the system so that growth can be maintained. And Joe, it looks to me that there's no tricks left. There's no more colonies that can be found. That's why... We can mine the moon. Well, or Russia or China. That's one of the reasons why America is so keen to get their hands on China and start a war, because that would be another prod, another boost to keep capitalism going if they could access the Chinese and Russian markets. And uh, with recent low interest rates, all of our assets are already overvalued. So, so yeah, that was an interesting concept of, okay, capitalism requires this unsustainable growth. The fact that it has been going for so long has really been as a result of a number of artificial tricks, some of them quite nasty when it comes to India and Ireland and the colonies, and that and that essentially we're running out of tricks. And, it, and just on the face of it, if you're talking about 3% growth every year, doubling an economy every 23 years, common sense tells you you just can't do that continuously in a closed system like our planet is. So, so there's that. I've been reading about those concepts. And that one was about private banks create money, Joe. Have you heard this one? No. So the myth is that, that governments introduce money into the economy, but it's actually created by, by private banks. So bank is just sitting there and it's not that they've got a lack of money to lend, it's that they have a lack of suitable clients to customers to lend money to. And they can just, if, if, if I go to a bank and I come up with a proposition where I say, give me $100,000, I've got this great business idea, they essentially just create a book entry where they create $100,000 and mm-hmm. put it in my account and it becomes into existence where nothing else gets subtracted from the bank's point of view. They can just generate and create the ledger account, $100,000. And it's not like they, uh, they have a corresponding ledger with the government where they've got to grab that money from the government. They just create the ledger account. So private banks are responsible for something like 90% of, of money generation. And I've got to look into it more, but the argument was that with quantitative easing, where central banks were providing money, it was still up to the private banks to lend it out somewhere for something. They still had to have a suitable person who wanted to borrow it. And Mm. a lot of the money... was able to pay back with interest. Yeah, a lot of the money just wasn't used. And the few Mm. that did use it were basically companies that did share buybacks because the executives realised that this was a better way of of getting bonuses. Yeah, exactly. So... Yeah, so that's an interesting concept that private banks create money, not the government. So 
That's the sort of... They only control the money. Hmm. Well, they control interest rates to an extent. So through the central bank. And that's the sort of blunt instrument of central banks is interest rates. And when interest rates got to zero, that was when they ran out of out of tricks. And we had this quantitative easing. There was a study done that said, was quantitative easing to do anything? And they looked at like 50 studies. And funnily enough, if the studies were done by central banks, the consensus they, they was yes. that it was successful. <laughs> and where the studies were done by people who weren't part of the central bank, then the studies show that it just didn't do anything. So I've got to get my head around quantitative easing and creation of money. But, but yeah, basically most money is, is created by private banks. I just watched an interview with Russell Brand. Who you're a masochist, Joe? Was this a hate listen? Was this one of those podcasts? No, it was just a funny interview with, I think Jonathan Ross, and oh. apparently he's made a documentary on basically the money that went into propping up the financial institutions, whilst the average person on the street was forced to into austerity in the right. UK. Russell Brand did this one. Yeah. Okay. So I, I don't know how watchable it will be, but certainly the subject matter is interesting. He'd be one of these guys who sometimes is right mm. about something and is quite entertaining and, and good and then on yes. other issues is completely nuts. Yeah. So just trying to think of somebody else who was like that. Yeah, I can't think of it to mind. So, so yeah, that's the stuff that I've been looking at and the ideas I've been thrashing around in my head. So trick is to try and work out a system that would replace capitalism because if you were to try and change things, mm -hmm. it would be through rules that are unattractive to capital and are attractive to labour. Yes. As in the working class. And, and, and labour don't control parliament. Yes. And also, you know... Labor can't easily move around the world, but capital can. Mm -hmm. And at the whiff, at the whiff of of laws that are unattractive to capital, they will exit a country, and thereby precipitate a crisis, which will be sort of self fulfilling. Where they would go, and, oh, these laws that and you're if proposing. They don't, are the Americans crazy. will invade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, if Australia was to try and do something funky and new that somehow addressed the imbalance and and took on capital to some extent, then you'd have to create laws that would prevent the flight capital of capital. Yeah. And how's that going to go down with the rest of the world? It's just not going to happen, is it? So it can be quite depressing, this whole thing. But it, it is interesting. So, yeah... I think that's the main things I wanted to tell you about that I was thinking about. I might make it a shorter one today. They might all be short. So anyway, Joe, did you have anything pressing that you wanted to share with any of the listeners? Not that I remember, no. Okay, all right. Well, I'm going to call it a, an early day. There might be shorter episodes this year, dear listener. 
have a look at IFEG Evergreen. You'll see some podcasts there where I put in the evergreen content. I'll be adding stuff over time and we'll see how that goes. So not sure what next week will be. Oh, have a look in the show notes. There should be a link to Goodreads and you'll see a list of books that I have read. If you want to do a little talk on that with me, part of a podcast, that would be good. All right. That's all for the moment. Talk to you all next week. Bye for now. And it's a good night from him. Now, the problem of transforming the ghetto, therefore, is a problem of power, a confrontation between the forces of power demanding change and the forces of power dedicated to the preserving of the status quo. Now, power properly understood is nothing but the ability to achieve purpose. It is the strength required to bring about social, political, and economic change. Walter Ruther defined power one day. He said, power is the ability of a labor union like UAW to make the most powerful corporation in the world, General Motors, say yes when it wants to say no. That's power. <laughs>